Hey guys, welcome to the Journey of Ruth Discipleship Podcast, where we encourage listeners to love Jesus, study his word, and reach others. I'm your host, Courtney Lohman. So my guest today is Carol Tetzloff. Carol is an author and a speaker who serves at Redemption Press as content creator, along with leading the She Writes for Him events and trainings. Her passion is discipleship of all ages, as she has served for many years on staff at the local church in every capacity from kids ministry to worship ministries. You're going to hear about how Carol and I met, but I am so excited for you all to get to know her a little bit today. Carol and I chat about the importance of reading all of God's word, some of the new lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament. And we spend a bulk of our time talking about worship, what it is, what it isn't, and how living a life of worship includes so much more than just music. Before we go on to our conversation, I'd like to ask that you consider supporting the podcast. The support of listeners helps provide the means to fulfill the big dreams God has given us, and I would love to have you along to see how God is going to use our platform. Financial supporters for the podcast help pay for the hosting of our website, email, and audio. They help support the upkeep of necessary technology, and they help fund future Journey of Ruth merch and events. Those who join us as patrons over at patreon.com receive episodes with no advertisements, access to special Patreon-only Zoom chats, and discounts to Journey of Ruth merchandise and events. You can become a patron for just $5 to $10 a month. It seems like so little, but it makes a huge difference. Head over to patreon.com slash journeyofruth to find more information and sign up today. But if you aren't sure you're ready for a monthly commitment, you can give a one-time donation through Venmo or Cash App. Our username on both platforms is Journey of Ruth. Now let's move on to my conversation with Carol Tetzloff. Well, Carol Tetzloff, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you, Courtney, for inviting me. I'm excited to talk to your listeners and just have this conversation today. Yeah, we met each other um, as a part of an organization that we are both a part of here in Phoenix. And um, and then you are so busy that like to find a spot on your schedule, like I'm like, oh my gosh, we this is awesome. <laughs> because you, I know we actually met. <laughs> we actually met. I know. So we actually are in the same city, but we're uh, on Zoom because... <laughs> It would take too long to go all the way across the city. So thank you for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Well, I just want to tell a little story on Courtney first, because we Uh did meet at a, um, I think it was at a Christmas event. Yes. um, That was a smaller event that this organization does. And we sat across from each other and literally we did not talk, stop talking the entire time. And then I asked her to take a goofy picture with me and I knew instantly we would be friends. It was me, you and Tracy Steele and the three of us, weren't we like taking a picture with like a snowman or something like that? (laughs) Yeah. So it was super fun and it's just been a delight to get to know you a little bit and be here with you. So, um, yeah, a little bit about me. So I do live in Gilbert, Arizona, not too far from, from Courtney. Mm -hmm. And I, served on my church staff actually for 22 years. Um, I served in every capacity possible um, from children's ministry, youth ministry, and I ended doing both women's ministry and worship ministries. Mm -hmm. And God just in that time just really began to to move and stir in my life and move me to start writing. 
and teaching and speaking. And I, um, now have a book that's published and my, um, every day job is now with my publisher redemption press Yeah, for them. I create content and I just do a lot of things. Um, I'm married. I, we have four kids and 11 or 10, sorry, we had a foster kid. So I forgot okay. <laughs> we actually left the house. Um, so 10 grandkids okay. and we just have a ton of fun together. Um, mm-hmm. I love super sweet iced coffee. I love the color yellow and I love shopping. If you check out her Instagram yellow is you can see that yellow is like your thing you're wearing yellow today there's yellow and blue all over the back back my office yeah have you always loved yellow I have when I was a kid I painted my room yellow I had a yellow bedspread like I wanted a yellow VW bug when I started driving that didn't happen my mom bought me a tan Ford Escort oh no but you know at least it was a car it moved right (laughs) Oh, I had yellow actually, but mine was yellow and green. It was all sunflowers Oh, in nice. my room. Mm-hmm. So I had yellow walls, I think, and something else. So it's just such a bright color. Why not? It is. <laughs> Super cheery. That's so, right. I'm- well, congratulations on you know, your retirement from your church. 22 years in the ministry is a lot. Um, and I, I kind of smiled when you said I basically did everything because I feel like that's something you don't know going, know when you're going into ministry, but anyone coming out of it knows that you're never just going to do one thing. You're going to wear various hats in your time in ministry and probably more than hat one hat at a time. Uh, so congratulations on that. But then you just like, I, in fact, I congratulated you on your retirement. You're like, yeah, I'm not actually retiring. (laughs) Not at all. I'm busier than I've ever been. I thought church ministry was busy. This, what I'm doing now, um, is crazy busy. And, but the great thing is I get to travel. I get to meet so many people across the United States. I get to speak and to teach and just meet people who have a story to tell and want to write a book. And it's just a lot of fun. So talk a little bit about what you've stepped into with your publisher, because, you know, you and I, as we were chatting before, you were like, there's actually uh, this discipleship, you know, part of it that I really wanted to see come to fruition um, at our publisher. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, I loved doing women's ministry, youth ministry, all the things because of the discipleship element within it. Mm -hmm. And when I came to work for Redemption Press, my main role was creating content for them. And then I started taking over the events and then I started doing trainings and just a bunch of things. And as I began to really go through all of these things that I was now putting on, I was like, there's an element really missing. We're missing reaching the heart of the writer. We're giving them such great content, but we're not really speaking into their lives. And we are like, we're a Christian Mm -hmm. publisher. And so we did have that element, but being able to do it intentionally. And so everything we do has devotional elements to it. It has this, you know, getting in the word, being accountable, having those communities where you can come around each other and, um, have relationship and have accountability. So it's been really fun to, to do that. Even like in our last conference, our, we did our first in-person conference this year okay. and we had all the ladies sitting at tables and they were assigned a table with a table leader so that during that whole two and a half days, they could really cultivate relationships mm. and get to know each other. And the friendships that were established there are huge. And it's an element of discipleship for them to start now iron sharpening iron, getting together, really helping each other out on this writing journey. Cause just like in writing in any area professionally, 
there's no one that truly understands what you're going through more than someone who does the same thing you do. And so with authors, some of these struggles that they're going to walk through, another author can either say like, you've got this, keep going, or I was there and this is what I did, which I think that's the basic, uh, that's like the basic part of discipleship that I think people miss. They think it's something much higher, much more like spiritual. And it is, it absolutely is. But at its foundation, it's encouraging one another uh, when we're not sure what's next and how to work. Yeah. yeah it's, it's living life together with the element and the truth that Jesus is. Yeah. And so as we point each other towards Jesus in whatever aspect of life, ever, any part of life that we are in, um, it's a beautiful marriage of friendships that can come together mm. and really, you know, spur each other on to mm. good things yeah. with Jesus as the center. I love that. And anytime you're doing something creative, there comes a moment where you're like, I have nothing. I have nothing to give today. I have nothing creative left inside of me. I have literally poured everything I have into this, you know, whatever you're creating and to have those other people be like, no, 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 you do have something, but maybe it is a day to just step away and that's okay. You have permission to step away from it. Fill yourself. Cause when you're giving so much, you're pouring out. Sometimes you have to allow yourself to be poured into. And that sounds like your conference and, and those relationships. I mean, how refreshing for your authors to be able to come and be poured into for a weekend, you know, spiritually and relationally. And I would like to think that they probably went home and had this refreshed ability to sit back down and begin, you know, creating what God has put in their heart to create. So I absolutely love that. Now you have written a book and it's called Ezra unleashing the power of praise, rebuilding broken into beautiful through worship. So I want to know, in fact, I said this to you when you were telling me, this is the book I'm writing. I'm like, Ezra, like (laughs) that's not really like, you know, Oh, you're writing one on Ruth or on, you know, Ephesians and no Ezra, that was the right first book or Bible study for you to write. So why? Yeah. So Ezra was an interesting choice. I would even agree with that statement. (laughs) I was actually um, introduced to the book of Ezra in 2011. It was during a really hard, hard season of ministry. Mm. It's like everything in our church was just falling apart and every ministry was crumbling. And, you know, when you're in church ministry, it's and really anywhere where you are working intimately with people, it's really hard to be able to really divulge your feelings and find someone you can, you know, trust with you and what was going on. Yeah. And so during this time, a friend of mine told me about this Bible study that was not too far. Now we had a women's Bible study at our church, but I never really went to it because I was always, you know, busy working, but I, she invited me to the study. And so I went and I loved it first of all, because I walked into a room not one single person knew me. They didn't ask me how to turn the air down or, you know, where the bathrooms were. I walked in and I could simply just be, it was almost mm. like, even in, though the group was probably almost 200 women, um, I felt very much alone and I actually loved it. <laughs> I was going to say, usually that would be like a bad, like a red, like stop. You're not doing your ministry right. But you're saying for you it was nice to almost not be known in the situation. Right. Well, and I was that person that I would walk in like 
right after it started and leave before it ended. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I was very purposeful in it. Now I did meet the woman that was teaching who was the women's ministry director and she became my confidant, the person mm. I could talk to share the things that were going on with, cause she knew no one in my circumstances and yet I could trust her and she brought me so much hope, but she started teaching the first week I was there and opened the Bible to the book of Ezra. And I was like, mm. Ezra, all right. I think he's a prophet. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like he's kind Hold of, on. let me, let me check the table of contents. I'll be with you in a second. <laughs> right. I'm like, I know Nehemiah, he comes right. after, but who knows Ezra. Yeah. Um, but as she began to teach, so Ezra is all about people that are broken, that are coming back to the a devastated city and rebuilding it. And it really spoke to that rebuilding in my own life of everything that was broken. And it was just this obedience of God's people that they would return to the place of their ancestors and in obedience, build the temple and build the city back up. And it was just a beautiful moment because it spoke to me in every aspect of the the ministry that I was a part of and no. what I would do then, cause I would sneak out before they would have to go into discussion time. So I wouldn't have to talk to anyone. And I would just go to a coffee shop and just sit and sit in whatever her teaching was that week and ask God to speak to me in it. And within a year after I had done that Bible study and really started studying even more intently myself, um, I, I, I felt God say to me, like, I, I want you to write a Bible study on the book of Ezra. And I was like, huh? So I started kind of writing one and it took me 10 years to be obedient. Wow. Um, well, about nine years. And then it came out the 10th year, but yeah. And it was just a book that changed everything that was who I was in my life, how my perspective was of worship and what it means to be a worshiper and mm you know, the obedience caused God to open all these doors and my sphere of influence has like exploded. Mm -hmm. And it was just that moment when I realized like Ezra, um, being obedient causes God to do great things and really does rebuild broken into beautiful. Okay. So this obedience thing, were you really just sitting there and not writing it or did it take you nine years to write it because you were allowing other things to get Right. Good question. So I actually wrote everything but Ezra. So I had written during <laughs> that nine years, I wrote seven other Bible studies that I used while doing women's ministries. Okay. Taught through them. I mean, full on like eight week studies with, you know, full week homework. Um, yeah. And then God finally was like, where's Ezra? <laughs> so. Remember that book that changed your life? Where's yeah. that at? I love that it's Old Testament because I think what I have found in the last uh, three years is that God has really used the Old Testament to speak to me and to the situations that I'm in, where I think naturally kind of in the church today, we think like, oh, that's going to be New Testament. You want the New Testament. And instead, like I find Exodus was one of them that really like spoke to me, like in a time of like real struggle and real darkness. God was like, go to Exodus. And I was like, what? <laughs> but it was like exactly what I needed to hear. And then the next year after that, where we were looking and searching for guidance, Micah, God was like, go to Micah. And I was like, I don't know that I've ever 
like really studied that book and I read it. And the fact that it was like, I'm looking at, you know, the year 2021 and comparing it to the people in Micah and I'm going, are these not the same people? Like they were, I was like, he could be describing our culture today. And God's like, that's what I, why I needed you to see this this year. Mm -hmm. And so I love that the old Testament can still speak to us on such a deep level. And Hey listeners, if you are not studying the old Testament, like get in, like, okay, you don't have to start in Genesis. I didn't start in Genesis and read Micah. I just went straight for Micah, (laughs) you know? And (laughs) and I heard one verse, Micah seven, seven. Mm, and we just talked about this this week at my team meeting. I'm not kidding you. That was my life verse last year <laughs> was it. like just over. And, and my biggest thing was like praying expectantly, not just praying, but like, I'm going to pray this and then I'm going to expectantly sit and wait and watch what the Lord's going to do. And so that I was like, well, if this is going to be my life verse, I should probably know what else is going on in, the, you know, in context. And so I dug into Micah, the book. And so I, okay. So we talked about why you chose Ezra. Um, what is it that you learned in Ezra that maybe was like a surprise for you? You're like, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know that you had that like bit of truth for me, God. Yeah. So a couple things really. So Ezra kind of became my Bible boyfriend, I would say, because like, he's super cool. And I think a lot of times when we think of Ezra, we think of some old man in robes and like a long beard, but Ezra was actually born when God's people were taken from Jerusalem and exiled into Babylon. Mm. And so he was most likely born there in Babylon. So he had never really been to Jerusalem before. So he's actually probably a young guy because he actually sticks around for Ezra and Nehemiah. Mm -hmm. So you have quite a bit of life there, but um, there's something that said about Ezra, how he was a man of the word and how he didn't just read it, but he obeyed it. And then he taught it, which was discipleship. Like it's all about, so Ezra was the guy, like he was preparing himself in a pagan place in a pagan culture to come back eventually and really help God's people spur on to obedience. Hmm. Um, there's a verse in the book of Ezra that I absolutely came to love. And it's found when the people, they get back to Jerusalem and they become discouraged and the people around the land, the enemies of the land come in and they discourage them from rebuilding this their, their building, their temple. Yeah. And so they stop building for 14 years. And then finally, some prophets come back and encourage them and they start building again. And the next time these, the enemies come, the people have a very different answer when they come and say, you need to stop building the temple. And they say, we are the people of God and we are rebuilding. It's like their identity had shifted. They recognized who they belong to during that 14 year journey of being disobedient. Mm. But during that time, God used it to shape them into the place that when the enemy would come, they would be able to stand up and say, I know who I am. I know what my mission is and I'm, we are rebuilding. Wow. And what a message for us, because we've got all kinds of things flying at us on social media, you know, in the news or on the internet that are like, what you believe is wrong or what you're doing is a silly Mm. choice. And what you're saying is that because these people were convinced that this is the direction that God wanted them to go, they were like, sorry, nothing can, can take me from being obedient. Right. I love that. Now you kind of found within this, um, within the book of Ezra, this concept of worship and, um, and you are a worship leader. We're a worship leader. Um, and 
I, I said, what concept of worship are you talking about? I think I asked you that once and you're like, well, it's so much more than music. And I was like, I'm so glad to hear you say that because <laughs> I believe that that is true. So what does it mean? I mean, it's in, um, you know, the, the pa- unleashing the power of praise and praise music. So that must mean music, right? That must mean worship right. and worship is, <laughs> what does worship mean to you? All right. So worship in the book of Ezra first comes from just the tradition of the people, because Mm. the people were thinking we've got to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple so we can worship because it was all about a place. It was about sacrifices. And yes, those were things that God put in place to help people understand who Jesus was or was going to be when he came. Um, But, but as they began living their life there, I think even they recognized that it was much more than a building, much more than the traditions of a Sunday morning, Mm. you know, worship service. And we get that confused because we call it worship service, worship music, worship leader. Like, wouldn't you think that worship was all about church, but really Paul gives one of the best definitions of worship in Romans 12, one and two, where he says, Mm. I urge you, I beg of you. Um, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is proper worship. Mm. And so worship, according to Paul is every single morning when we wake up, we place ourselves on that altar of obedience to surrender to God. Now, the problem that we have is that the sacrifices today, our worship being placed on the altar, we are living In the Old Testament, they would actually kill the animal before they'd put them on. So the animal could not get off. But we have this tendency to crawl off the altar and start worshiping other things. (laughs) I don't know why. I just think it's like weird alien things like crawling off of the, or like too many bugs crawling (laughs) off the altar or something. But you're a little bit too much science fiction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Basically. (laughs) But we Uh, do get off. You're right. We do because we want to worship other things. We have all these, you know, little baby thrones around us that we are placing ourselves on instead of looking to God and placing him in the center of our life. Mm. But it's something that's very intentional. You have to wake up every single day and recognize who you are living for and what that life looks like. I know some of you listeners are very organized individuals and I congratulate you on that. But I also know that some of you are like me. We are going to show up all the time, but maybe not on time. Whether you are a planner or you aren't, one thing is critical, and that is to plan your daily time with the Lord. If you do not put a regular Bible reading time on your calendar, the chance of something like that happening on a regular basis is very unlikely. Nurturing your relationship with God starts with the daily habit, and I found a tool to help us do just that. The Daily Kairos Journal was created to help busy Christians break free from distractions, spend more time reading the Bible, hear God's voice more clearly, and ultimately draw close to Him every day. You have to set aside the time each day, but the journal will take it from there. The Daily Kairos Journal is going to help you prioritize prayer, scripture memory, and regular scripture reading. It also provides a weekly reflection section built to help you record and discern what God is saying to you over an extended period of time. I know since receiving mine, I have memorized more scripture than I normally do. And also it's helping me to keep those 
friends and family that I'm praying for or those items that I'm asking for the Lord's direction on, it's helping me to keep those at the forefront of my mind, not only during my daily reading time, but also throughout the day. So go support the podcast and order your journal today by visiting dailykairos.com slash Courtney dash Loman. That's dailykairos, D-A-I-L-Y-K-A-I-R-O-S.com slash Courtney dash Loman. And look forward to pressing the reset button every day as you spend time with God in his word and with your daily Kairos journal. Now back to the episode. So first of all, I loved that, that I don't know if it's another translation or just the way that you said it, but when I've heard that verse, I've heard, this is your spiritual act of worship. And you said, this is proper worship. Yes. Is that from another translation? It is. I think it's um, NIV. I actually, you know how you can Bible hub something and then yes. like biblehub.com put in one verse and it gives you like, oh, I like that one the best. <laughs> if, so listeners, if you've, if you've never used Bible hub, so basically you could put like John three sixteen in uh, and you put it into Google and Bible hub is probably going to be one of the first ones that comes up to be honest, but then Bible hub will show it to you in like every translation you could. And I find sometimes this is one of my like Bible study skills that I use. If there's a scripture I don't understand, I'll put it in. I'll look at it in Bible hub and read it in these different versions. And sometimes that gives me a better understanding of what I'm reading or I'm like, oh, okay. Now it makes sense in context with the rest of what I'm reading um, using those different translations. But I love that proper worship because it's like there is a way to do this. And this is the way to do it. You know, this is the proper way to make a vanilla cake. This is the proper way to, you know, clean a room or the proper way to make a bed. This is the right way to make a bed. Well, this is the right way to worship God. It seems a little though, uh, like, okay, so the spiritual act of worship, you're not giving, like, it's not giving us a to-do list for what proper worship looks like. Right. Is there, is there a to-do list or is it just the way that we live? Um, it really is the way that we live. It's more of an attitude of your heart than the expression mm. of like what your hands do. Mm. Um, an example that I could give you for proper everyday worship is simply when you do the dishes. I mean, all of us as women, we have dishes to do. I walk out into my kitchen and right now, like all of our kids are gone. And when the grandkids aren't over, I walk out and I'm like, who is eating all the food that makes all these dishes? Because we always seem to have dishes in the sink. And I remember complaining one time, like in my head, when I was doing the dishes, I was just so frustrated at other things to do and I'm doing the dishes. And I was talking to my Bible study group one day about this moment. And I had a woman pause and stop me and say, Carol, instead of complaining about doing the dishes, why don't you thank God for the family that you have that created the dishes to do? And as I did Ezra, I remembered that statement from so long ago. And I thought that's worship. Hmm. Worship is an attitude of gratefulness that is beyond just the normal everyday saying, thank you. It's an attitude, no matter where you are, whether you're sitting at a boardroom table, having a meeting, or you are doing the laundry or you're on the floor playing with your kids, just the attitude that is in your heart of thankfulness for the moments that he's given you, even when hard stuff arrives, Hmm. we can worship even when we're hurting, even when we're sick, even when things aren't going right, because it's the attitude of our heart 
that really focuses our thoughts on who Jesus is and what he has brought into our life for us to experience. Hmm. And that's really hard on a day when all of life seems to be going wrong. Mm -hmm. And on a day when maybe just the mundane to-do list is way too long for the, it's not even a 24 hour period because you got to sleep in there. So, you know, the 12 hours that you have to do things, it can be really hard to be thankful for kind of all of these mundane things. It can be hard to be thankful for the car that you had to take into the mechanic, (laughs) but it's totally ruining your day because you hadn't planned to take it to the mechanic, but you have a car and to be thankful for that. It's a different way I think of, of looking at life. And it's interesting coming from Ezra, because if you think about the history of Israel, it had not been fun. It had not been easy. Now, was it because of their own sin? Yeah, it was. Uh, Is that why they were in Babylon? Yeah, it was. But I think it's interesting to read those Old Testament stories and see the people that kept the faith in a culture that was very pagan and in a culture that wanted to make them look like Babylonians Mm -hmm. and not like Israelites. You know, you see the story of Daniel. You see how he had his spiritual act of worship that he was unwilling to bend even in the face of death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the same thing. And Ezra's there. And and like you said, he's born in Babylon. I wonder, did he know the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I would assume so, because those were kind of big deals. Um, But you mentioned that even in this pagan culture, he was a man of the word. How does our time in the word, our time reading the Bible, how does that match up with our proper act of worship? Yeah. So in order for us to really worship God, we have to know him. Mm. And if the only way we can truly know God is through his word, I mean, that's where he reveals himself to us. There are ways that you can experience um, God through other avenues. Like you can experience God at church. You can experience God with a, another believing friend. You can experience God through nature. So there's aspects that you can see of who God is, but you really can't know his heart until you begin to read the word. And so mm. being in the word every single day, no matter what that looks like for you, whether it's a five minute, take a moment and pull it up on your phone and read it while you're in the car line at school. Cause life's been busy and you have to wait in a car line. We know that's like what an hour every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, I don't pick kids up anymore, but, um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's just being immersed in it and, you know, put praise and worship music on surround yourself with things that point you to his throne. You know, I, I actually have had a pretty bad week mm. and there's just been some things that I've had to deal with some things. God's been working in me in my heart and in my life. And I could, put myself in a place where I just want to disappear and just want to stop doing what I'm doing and walk away. Mm. But one of the things I do is I, first of all, I always, always spend time in the word. I mean, there's very rarely a day that I will not. And and I'm in a different season than most people where I wake up to a very quiet house, just my husband and I, I get up very early. I fix myself a cup of coffee before the sun comes up and just sit and be still. But there are still moments where I get to the point where I just want to give in and give Mm. up. And turning on worship music 
even if I'm just in the bedroom, getting ready for the day just changes and helps me shift my worship to where it needs to be. Hmm. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to give advice to two different groups of women Okay. on that engaging God's words. First of all, what is your encouragement for the mom who is still waiting in that line, who does have young kids, who does have a busy family schedule? What is your encouragement for making sure that they're finding time with the Lord? Yeah. I mean, that is a really hard thing. I mean, we have our youngest daughter has three little boys at home and they're usually up before her, you know, they're the ones rapping on the door in the morning, mommy, need milk or whatever. Um, And, you know, by the time she puts him in bed at night, she's exhausted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my encouragement for someone like her is, you know, find a community, find a place Mm. where your kids have childcare and you can go during the week and, you know, be a part of a community. But then there are lots of resources that are super simple. Like they have, you know, the Bible app has a verse of the day. I have a friend that that's all she does. She reads the verse of the day. She may, if she has time, pull up the chapter it's from and kind of read around it, pray through it. I mean, it's not, it doesn't take a lot of time to read a simple verse. I mean, so for example, if the verse was, um, you are the light of the world in first John, you can then, or I guess that's not, that's Matthew. Sorry. Matthew. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Matthew five. Sorry. I was the other first John's full of light verses. Yes. But you are the light of the world. You can read that verse and then you can say, okay, Jesus, thank you for making me the light of the world. How can I today affect the world of my kids so that I can shine my light for them, Mm -hmm. for you in their Mm -hmm. life? Mm -hmm. And so it's a very simple, just like take that simple scripture and apply it immediately to your circumstance and live it out as best you can through the day, really focusing on, you know, just honoring Jesus through that. Yeah. And I actually find when you're, when you're being really simple about it, as opposed to like, I'm going to sit and read three chapters sometimes because it, it is busy when you've got young kids, sometimes it actually helps it to come up several times during the day. Cause God can just bring that to mind instead of like, Oh, what did I read? I read a lot. I read like three or four chapters today. And if that's where you're at and you have the time, great. But if you're, even if you are reading three or four chapters, what's the one takeaway, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that one verse that jumped out on you that you can meditate on throughout the day, uh, so that God can bring that over and over into your mind and you can meditate on that throughout the day. So I love that. You're not like telling us it's all about more, mm-hmm. but it sounds like instead you're saying it's all about being intentional. Yes. Yeah really good. Okay. So what is the second? So the second group is a woman who, whose kids are gone and, um, she's an empty, empty nester, maybe has been for a while. And she's just trying to find this balance between, uh, spending time with God. Um, but also making sure that she's like out of the house and finding, uh, basically she, she, had so she was so wrapped up in her kids, right? And what they were doing that when her kids left, she realized maybe her community was not where mm-hmm. it needed to be. And so you're like, go and find somebody and go and do so. I don't know anyone, and I'm too old to make friends, maybe. Right. Right. No, th- and that's true. And I think really just being intentional again about community, mm-hmm. you know, because th- there's lots of, I mean, Wherever you live, there are tons of women's groups that meet throughout the week, during the day, in the evenings. 
um, you know, almost every church has a women's Bible study of some sort that you could be a part of to, to gain those intentional communities. But then mm-hmm. too, um, once you have raised your kids, so last, the last couple years, I actually stopped when my girls graduated, but I went to the local Christian high school and they have a discipleship program that happens once a week. And you have a group of probably eight to 10 girls and, or guys, depending. Um, and you meet with them for 45 minutes once a week. It was a Wednesday morning and I would just drive over to the school. I'd bring them treats. We'd talk about life. We'd pray together. We'd, you know, ask each other questions. And because I had, God has allowed me to have so many amazing people in my life. And I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but for me to be able to pour back in. So instead of trying to find someone to always fill you, how can you now intentionally go out and Mm. reach others and use all the things that you've learned growing up, you know, your kids have grown up. Maybe it's a young mom that just needs somebody to walk beside her and you can bring her lunch once a week and give her you know, someone to talk to besides her children. <laughs> so just being intentional, yes, we need that way. That, that's not getting in the word specifically, but that's how you use your, you know, what God's given you. No, I love that. I, because I think that's what the word calls us to do, right? It's not just that's about, true. about increasing our uh, knowledge or our, yes, we need to be doing that our understanding of who Christ is, but sometimes the best way to understand who Christ is, is to serve. And to serve others. And I I think that's one of our purposes. You know, the first one is to glorify God. And the other one is to serve others and discipleship. I love that, by the way, that, (laughs) you know, discipleship program within a high school. Let's do that. More high schoolers Mm -hmm. like let's. Yeah, that's amazing. But finding those opportunities and not believe not believing the lie that Satan will try to tell us that you're too old and you're no longer relevant. And the younger generation doesn't want to know what you have to say. Those girls, they, I mean, we still are in connection and they graduated. They're now in their sophomore year of college, but I had them for several years and we've developed this beautiful friendship and I cheered them on. And one of the things I didn't come to them with a Bible verse every day and as you know, we're going to do this study and we're going to, we just Mm -hmm. did life together. And I just let them ask me questions if they're struggling with boys, if they're struggling with grades, if they're struggling with parents, you know, and, and give them godly wisdom within the, the rhythms of their own life. Mm -hmm. And, and then I would go and I would watch, I had one gal, she is a beautiful ballerina. She's actually at a huge ballet Academy now, like studying for college and doing all the dancing. And, um, but I would go watch her ballet performances, you know, at the big Mm. places downtown when she was in the nutcracker. And I would go to their sports games and pick them up and bring them cookies. When we had COVID shutdown, I brought, you know, I'd take stuff to their house, um, their houses. And so it was just being a part of their life. And what I call it often in discipleship is just watching them dance. Like you don't Mm. have to take a Bible with you. You just have to do life with them because when they see your life and how you emulate Jesus and everything, they're going to want to be like you because you've invested so much in them and they want to be like you because they see Jesus, not because they see some great person. Mm. Wow. I I love that idea that just, just watch them dance. And like, if life is a dance, they may fall and Mm -hmm. you're there to help them up without judgment. And sometimes it's easier if you're not their parent for them to come to you when they do fall and say, I'm going to be honest with you about something that I don't know that I can be honest with my parents about. Um, my parents were really wise in introducing us to people like that. 
Okay. You know, like if you can't talk to us, you can talk to one of these people. We we're open. We would love to be here for you, but we understand that we're your mom and dad and it could get awkward. (laughs) You know, you're probably still close to those people today that, that were in your life. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's a, it's a gift that I didn't know I needed. Mm-hmm. My parents did. And actually I say to say that to them and they're like, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> you know, they're like, we didn't know we were setting you up for this. We were, ju- we just needed help. And we knew that we couldn't be everything to you and your brother. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's amazing that you're there for these girls and that they know they can contact you and talk to you about the spiritual stuff and mm-hmm. the like everyday stuff. Um, well, you have your Ezra book out there. Uh, where can we find more about you? You also speak nationwide. Um, if someone wants to have you come and speak at their church, where can we find you and your book? All right. So super easy, carolteslof.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can just go there. You can order my book actually on my website. So my book actually has two different print runs. Okay. One is a um, grayscale interior and one is a color interior. But the whole, I can give you a whole podcast on publishing and how things work, but um, basically it's super expensive to print on demand in color. And so Mm. the one that you could get on Amazon or any .com site is in black and white. And then the one that um, I have in my garage is in color and it's beautiful. The designers just did an amazing job with it. Mm. So um, yeah. And then also my information's there. You can just hit contact. If you want me to come and speak, I love speaking to women. I love talking about discipleship. I love spurring women onto a life that is of holiness and one that is just worshiping God alone. Yeah. See people, you see why we had plenty to talk about the first time we met. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) You know, um, in fact, I had been told, Oh, you, you haven't met Carol Tetzloff. How do you not know Carol Tetzloff? You need to meet Carol. And then I'm sure the host of the party that we were at set us next to each other well, on purpose because she's like, how have you not met Carol Tetzloff? You need to meet Carol Tetzloff. You're going to sit next to Carol Tetzloff. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. She, you, she kept saying the same thing about you and Tracy. Like you guys need to meet, you have to meet Tracy still. You have to meet Courtney. <laughs> so we also like, happen to be like the younger generation in this group that we're with. And I think she was like, here, the three of you need to meet each other. Nice. And <laughs> And raise each other up, encourage each other and that right, type of stuff. Right. So well, <clears throat> we have a question that we ask everyone, and that is because we are not meant to live life alone, as you've mentioned in this discipleship topic and in this worship topic, uh, who is it that's helped you along in your journey? Oh my goodness. I have been blessed. And just like you, Courtney, I didn't recognize at the time what they were doing, but now looking mm-hmm. back over my life, I see how intentionally God placed these women in my life. Yeah. Uh, when I was a teenager, I had a woman named Sandy. She passed away a few years ago. She, I met her in sixth grade and she walked me through my entire high school career. She was the person who taught me the most about the word. She would take me everywhere, me and a small group of friends. She would take us to the football games across town because we didn't have cars at the time or we weren't old enough to drive so that we could go to the games that we wanted to. She was amazing and just loved us right where we were. Um, When I became a young adult after I graduated from college, I was single for many years and desperately like, God, why aren't you answering the prayer of my heart to have a husband? You're answering everybody Mm -hmm. else's like, what about me? And I sat in her living room. I I actually, she was at our church. She was a um, a wife of one of our pastors, older woman. She's now in her nineties. 
Mm-hmm. And I went in when she was making copies and I said, would you disciple me? And she spent probably six years of me coming to her house once a week during my lunch hour. I was a teacher, but I had a little bit longer lunch hour. Okay. I could go to her house and I would just sit at her feet and just have, we would just go through the word together and she would pray for me and support me, but it's actually shifted now in my Mm. life. And, and yes, there are people that I come alongside, but I have a different perspective on that person being older as to who I want to speak into my life. And so now, um, even though I have a lot of people that pray for me and encourage me, and I know if something's happening, I can send them a quick message and they'll support me or whatever it is. But really my most significant relationship right now is my publisher, who is also oh, wow. a person I work for, yeah. who has also become just one of my dearest friends. And the reason why is because she pushes me to work through hard things. You know, the everyday, my attitudes, my actions, things that may not be um, to a standard of holiness that I really want before my God. And so now it is so important for me to have that person in my life who doesn't always Mm -hmm. agree with me, who Mm -hmm. doesn't just say things to appease me, but who really spurs me on to live a life of holiness. And we can be more like Jesus. And, and when you find that person, you are so blessed because yeah. even when they say things that hurt you and you're like, I don't like this, but I know that I need to work my way through this and navigate this part of my soul so that I can move on to what God's really calling me to do in obedience. And how, I mean, that's so beneficial that you have that relationship where when she speaks truth, you listen, like you said, even when it's difficult, because if you don't have that person that can speak truth and you will listen, then there's probably you're going to make more mistakes than you need to. Because mm-hmm. the only way you're going to learn that something is not good is by doing it and falling flat on your face. And instead, if we're willing to listen and receive the wisdom that someone can share with us, then then sometimes we can avoid some of the mistakes that maybe others are going to have to make in order to learn it. So that is amazing that God has provided her um, in your life at this time. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for all that you've shared with us. I really appreciate, you know, the the ministry that you are doing to authors. And I appreciate the, um, your book on Ezra that really helps us to see this idea of worshiping in the midst of, you know, chaos and rebuilding and in the midst of really understanding, Other people are going to say that what we're doing is wrong, but we have to continue in the direction that God has called us to. So thank you so much uh, for that. You're welcome. I always end my, when I teach on Ezra or when I do a podcast or anything with a statement that I think you would glean from if you did the study or if you studied Ezra, even on your own. And it is, may the story of my life be worship in his eyes. Mm, I love that. So thank thank you, you, Courtney, for having me today. I appreciate it. Love that I got to speak to your listeners and just pray that God will use this to spur them on to a life of worship. Thank you so much. I'm so curious to know if you've thought of worship in the same way that Carol has thought about worship, how it actually works in our everyday lives. I mean, had you ever thought of Bible reading as an act of proper worship? And yes, I have been mulling over those words, proper worship, since Carol and I talked. 
I would love to know what worship looks like for each one of you in your individual lives, in your daily schedules. So if you would send me an email or a message and let me know what does worship look like in your daily life. Links to Carol's website, her book, and her socials can be found over in the show notes on our website, journeyruth.com. You can also find show notes for all of our other episodes, an opportunity to sign up for the podcast newsletter, links to help support the podcast, and information on how I can bless your church or community through speaking or teaching. And don't forget to check out dailykairos.com slash Courtney dash Loman to order your daily Kairos journal. In fact, right now you can get 10% off when you buy two or more journals or 20% off when you buy four or more. This week, come say hi over on Facebook and Instagram and let us know what you thought of the episode or let Carol know how much you appreciated what she had to say. It would mean so much to me if you would take the time to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and then click subscribe over on YouTube. Thanks for listening and I will see you next Tuesday right here on the Journey Ruth Discipleship Podcast. 